was buried beneath my shame who can carry that kind of weight it was my It's who you are, it's who you are, it's 
shout your praise Our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord all the earth will shout your praise morning living water are you glad to be here this morning can I ask you a question this morning before we begin how many of you would agree with me that this Bible is a is a very precious book to you and me um, the Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's alive, it's active, and, and I, I, I just believe that with all my heart that God's Word, you can take a story that's thousands of years old and God can speak through His Word through that story and speak right to our hearts today. Do you believe that? And so if you believe that, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And the title of the message this morning is Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. And so what I want to do, um, 1 Samuel chapter 7, is I want to read verses 2 through about 14. I'm going to pray one more time, and then I want to share with you um, a, a few truths this morning. So chapter 7, verse 2, read along with me. It says, The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your heart to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. 
The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place called or below Beth Car, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truths in your word. And Lord, like just getting a shovel and digging in the ground, I pray that as we dig into your word today that you would reveal to us some precious truths from your word. Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to receive those truths that we don't just leave this place having heard a sermon, but we leave this place having heard from you. And so Lord, with that to be done, I have to humble myself. And so Lord, I know it's not about me. And so I humble myself before you And I ask that you would simply just use me as a vessel and that you would speak your truths to us as we've gathered here today. We want to hear from you. And we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were with us last week, we were looking at a tragic day in Israel. A day that in one, just one day, some really, really bad things happen. And if you read the passage that we just read, it's like, wow, what a contrast between chapter 4, 5, and 6 and then this, chapter 7, that we just read. And so as we read these scriptures, as we read these stories over and over and over again in God's word, this truth seems to kind of rise to the top. And see if this makes sense to you. God's ways are better. Amen? God's ways are better. We know this. We see it in scripture. I mean, they try to do things. They take things into their own hands. They do it their way and they get their results. And then you see them turn to God and then they do things God's way. God's ways are better and everything turns around and that's the case here. And so in chapter 7 we see Samuel comes back into the scene. So through 4, 5, and 6 it's been talking about the condition of Israel. After talking about Samuel at first, now we're back to Samuel. And Samuel leads the children of Israel in repentance or returning to the Lord. Now, I don't know what your pericope, you know what a pericope is? It's above the text. It kind of tells you what you're about to read. The pericope in my translation says, Samuel leads Israel to victory. I like that, but it's not 100% accurate. Because Samuel, before he could lead the children of God to victory, he needs to lead them back to God. See, that was the problem. Last week, the tragic day in Israel was because they had become indifferent towards God. God's word no longer had a place in their hearts. They didn't care about worship. And they thought that when they went into battle against the Philistines, they had gotten beaten. And they said, hey, let's just go back and get the Ark of the Covenant. And let's take the Ark into battle with us. Maybe the Ark will help us win the battle. And we know that it didn't happen that way, right? That God allowed them to be defeated again. This time, 30,000 soldiers were killed. Eli the priest died. The two sons of Eli, both priests, died. The daughter-in-law of Eli, who was pregnant, went early into childbirth, and during childbirth she dies. But before she dies, she has a child. She names him Ichabod. How would you like to name your kids Ichabod? Please don't, because it means where is the glory? The glory of the Lord had departed. They learned a harsh lesson that day that indifference toward God can be very disastrous. And then you read chapter 7, Samuel steps onto the scene and it says that the ark had been away for about 20 years and all. And during that time, it says Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. And so Samuel is going to step up into this leadership position. He's going to lead the children of Israel in repentance and returning to God. And we read the story, everything turns around. And so last week we asked the question, what happened? And we talked about it was their indifference that was the problem. Today we'll ask the question, what changed What's the difference between yesterday or last week in chapter 4, 5, and 6 and this week in chapter 7? And so let's look back at the text again. And and as we look at the first uh, few verses here, I want us to see steps toward repentance or to return to the Lord. Now, how many of you would agree that our world, our country today needs to return to the Lord? How many of you would agree that our local government needs to return to the Lord? Uh, how about our families or our churches? Or let's just take it down to the personal level. How many of you would say today, Shane, I need to return to the Lord? 
I feel like I'm in a desert. I feel like just everything that I'm doing, nothing's working. And I just feel like I'm, I'm so far from him. I just need a return, a revival. I got good news for you. Chapter 7 of 1 Samuel is a great illustration of what it looks like to return to the Lord. So in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The ark remained at kiriath Jerem for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Some of your translations will say, Israel lamented after the Lord. Or it may say, they began to seek the Lord. Or another one says, they were moved and sought after the Lord. And so the first thing I want you to know when it comes to repentance is, real repentance goes beyond sorrow. Real, true repentance, returning to the Lord, goes beyond sorrow. Sorry, being sorry is not enough. Have you ever had a kid broke something or disobeyed you and they go, sorry? You're like, you're not sorry, right? You're just saying that because you got in trouble. And so sometimes we do things and we have the consequences for our actions and just to be sorry is not enough. And I'll show you that because earlier on, as the ark is making its way from uh, the Philistines, remember they capture the ark, they had it for seven months and they send it back to Israel and it spends a little bit of time in this place place called Beth Shemesh. And while there, it says 70 men, they looked inside the ark. Now if you know the Old Testament and, and the do's and the don'ts, that's a big don't. Don't do that. And so the Lord's anger broke out against these men, and 70 of them died that moment just because they looked into the ark. And so it says when they did that, all the people mourned. They were sorry. It says they mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. You see, they were just sorry because of the consequences. They were mourning because of what the Lord had done. And then you fast forward to chapter 7, verse um, 2. It says all of Israel mourned again. But this time it says, because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them, or they were seeking after the Lord. They were mourning, and their mourning was driving them, directing them towards repentance. And that's something that you and I need to see. Real, real repentance goes beyond just being sorry. It's a sorrow that leads us to repentance. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow without repentance doesn't do any good. But the, the repentance that God likes is when we say, God, I'm sorry, and we mean it. I'm sorry, and I want to change. Amen? So that's the first thing is real repentance is more than sorrow. A second thing I want you to see um, is it says, Samuel steps up, and he says, if you want to return to the Lord with all of your heart, then you need to do something. You need to get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. If you want to return to the Lord because they had been away from the Lord, right? Their indifference had taken them so far from God, and, and the results of that were disastrous. And he says, if you want to return to the Lord with all of your heart, then you need to get rid of your idols. You need to get rid of uh, your idols to Baal and Ashtoreth, your images of Ashtoreth. And so what we need to know is real repentance means removing the substitutes, now, they had substituted God. That was the point of their indifference. They had the real living God with them. And when they went into the promised land, they chose to follow the gods of the other people. And so they began to worship the God of Baal. Can you imagine trading the, the living God that demonstrated his power so beautifully to them in the past? And now they're going to trade that? How many say bad trade? And they, they trade the, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, for the, the idol of Baal and Ashtoreth. And so what was happening is there were some substitutes that they had allowed to come into their lives. And so Samuel steps up and he says, hey, if you want to return to God, there's not enough room in your heart for all of that. There's only enough room in your heart for God and God alone. And so if you want to return to the Lord with all of your heart, then you have to remove the substitutes. You have to get rid of the idols. And so for us today, we don't have the little carved idols we don't struggle with those little images, but how many of you know we can absolutely have idols that we can put in the place of our devotion and love of God? And so if we want to return to the Lord, we need to understand that real repentance means removing the substitutes. I'll tell you this. Try this. Boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, guy, talk to your girlfriend and ask her if it's okay if you can have a couple other girls on the side. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, substitute. Probably not going to work out very well, right? <clears throat> God's a jealous God, and God says, I'll have no other gods before me, right? And so if we want to return to him with all of our hearts, we need to remove the substitutes. There's not enough room in our hearts for God and these other things that we put in the place of God. Then Samuel told them, gather all the Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. 
So they gather at Mizpah and in great ceremony. So it's this, I don't know what it looked like, but it says in great ceremony. It was a big thing. In great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. Now, we may miss this because water is such an abundance for us, but for them, water represented life. I mean, it was very precious to them. And so to draw water out of a well and then to dump it on the ground before the Lord where they could not collect it again was a big deal. And it demonstrated their lives poured out before God. Like Just like water is to us, life, Lord, we are laying our lives before you, not to be taken back up, but we are fully committing to you. We're devoting ourselves to you. They had a change of heart. And so real repentance requires a change of heart, a changing of your stinking thinking, right? Looking at things differently and saying, God, I've been doing things my own way and I get my own results and I realize that your ways are better. And so I'm having a change of heart. Here I am. I'm pouring my life out before you today here I am real repentance is more than sorrow it's removing the substitutes and it's a change of heart and then also we can't forget this part it's coming clean with God how many of you know sometimes we just need to come clean with God let me let you in a little secret he already knows he's omniscient he already knows so what does that mean? Well, come clean with God, but he already knows, so why do we have to bring it up? It's kind of embarrassing to talk about it. There's something about confession before God. It's like, God, I acknowledge that I've sinned against you. I acknowledge that, I, that I'm doing things my own way, and I just need to bring that out, bring it to the light. I confess, yes, God, I have sinned. And if you've been here any length of time at all, you know one of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and he's just. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so I would say, if we are to return to the Lord, if we are to repent and turn back to God, we need this more than sorrow, a sorrow that leads to repentance. We need to remove the substitutes that get in the way. We need a change of heart, and we need to come clean with God. Let me push the pause button right there. So that's where Samuel leads them. As I said a while ago, the pericope says Samuel leads them to victory, but it's misleading because the first uh, six verses deal with him leading them first back to God. How many know that's a very important step? Let's don't forget God. And so they lead them back to God, and after he leads them back to God, he's like, let's get our hearts right. Let's return to the Lord because we've been so far away. And we remember very vividly the casualties and the, and the consequences of, of that indifference toward God. Let us return to the Lord with all of our hearts. And once they did that, here's a, here's a bottom line I want you to just remember and let it resonate in your heart because I believe it reflects the heart of God throughout Scripture. Now, it may sound a little shocking, but here it is. <clears throat> Those who honor God are honored by God. Shane, that sounds a little presumptuous. I mean, God's going to honor me? Come on, we're dirtbags. Why would God honor us? Well, the word honor means to bestow honor and or blessings upon. And I think we can all agree that God rewards obedience. Amen? That God blesses those that are obedient toward him. And so here's a phrase that you and I need to know today. If it's true that last week I said uh, that indifference toward God can be disastrous, then we also need to know that those who honor God, put him in the right place in their hearts as they did, returning to the Lord, those who honor God, God will also honor God them he said it in chapter 2 when he was dealing with Eli you remember he's warning Eli about his sins his his son's sins and he said Eli you honor your kids more than you honor me and then God says to Eli I will honor those who honor me God says he will honor those so those who honor God are honored by God consider this in Deuteronomy chapter 26 if you have time later I want to encourage you to read it it's a really cool thing this is towards the end of Moses life And he's led the children of Israel. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He's given them all the law. And he's about to die. Before he dies, he gives them this charge. He says, when you get into the promised land, Joshua is going to take them into the promised land. But when you get there, there are these two mountains. There's Mount Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And I I want, here's what I want. I want you to divide the 12 tribes of Israel in half. And 12 of them are going to stand on top of Mount Gerizim. And the other 12 are going to stand on the top of Mount Ebal. And so the Levites and the priests are going to get in the valley between the two mountains and they're going to recite the terms of the contract, if you will, the terms of the covenant that God's making with his people there. And what they're going to do is they're going to read out all of the blessings that are associated with obedience. And he says, as they read the blessings, the Levites and the priests, all of the tribes that are on top of Mount Gerizim are just going to respond with, amen, 
so be it, right? If you obey, God will bless you. Amen. We like that, right? And then as they read out the curses over on Mount Ebal, how would you like to be in those six tribes where they're like, wow, we got the bummer part today, right? As he says, if you don't obey the word of God or you, 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 you turn from following me, he goes, he announces all these curses. And as he announces these curses, they're supposed to say, amen, so be it. And so it ends by saying, he lays before them, you know, a choice of, of obedience to God or disobedience to God and the consequences that flow from that. And so listen to what it says in chapter 26. It says, the Lord has declared today that you are his people, his own special treasure, just as he promised, and that you must obey, you must obey his commands. And if you do, he will set you high above all of the other nations he has made. I mean, you know, that's honor. He says, he'll set you high above all the other nations that he has made. Then you will receive praise, honor, and renown. You'll be a nation that is holy to the Lord your God, just as he promised. And so in chapter 28, it says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands that I'm giving you today, he says, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You'll experience all the blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Listen to this. Your talents and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. Your offspring and your herds and flocks will be blessed. The fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. He goes on and on. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. I like the way that sounds, don't you? He said, if you obey me, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to honor you with these blessings. He goes on again. If you obey the commands the Lord your God has given you, the Lord will send rain in the proper time. Now contrast that with, he says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overwhelm you. The talons in your fields will be cursed. The fruit baskets and breadboards cursed. Your children cursed. Some of you are going, that's it. That's what's going on. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be cursed. The Lord himself will send on you the curses and the confusion. When you go to war, he's going to allow you to be defeated. Curses, curses. And it's all a choice. Do you choose to obey him or do you choose to do things your own way? And as I said a while ago, God's ways are always better. And we're so blessed today that from a bird's eye perspective, we have about 6,000 years of human history recorded throughout the scriptures, and we see clearly this, this truth, this fundamental truth. In fact, I see Samuel like a coach, like a football coach, right? You go into halftime, and you're getting your rear ends handed to you from the, your, your, your competition, you know? They're just beating you like a rug. And the coach brings you into the locker room and he begins to talk to you. Hey guys, I know you got what it takes and you got this, but you're, you're letting go of the fundamentals. You got to get back to the fundamentals. I mean, you know, like blocking and tackling and protecting the football. If you would just take care of the fundamentals, you'll take care of the game. And I feel like that's what Samuel is saying to them. Listen, you've done it your way before and you got the results, but you got to get back to the fundamentals. The fundamentals is you got to return to God. And what happens when you return to God? Listen, if we honor God, God's going to honor us. So what did that look like for them? Look on, it says, as they <clears throat> turned to the Lord, returned to the Lord. Remember I said pause all ago? That, that was all pause, right? We're pushing play again. We're back in the text, verse 7. When the Philistines, you know, these enemies that have been just attacking them over and over and over again. When, when the Philistines heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and they advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Why? Because they had been just slaughtered earlier on. And they remember painfully clear to them how hard it was in the past. And so they were terrified to hear that the Philistines were coming again. It says, don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. They begged Samuel. You remember chapter 4 when things didn't go the way they thought, they didn't consult Samuel, the man of God. They just did things their own way, and they got their results. Well, this time they're going to the man of God. Samuel, please, please, don't stop pleading to the Lord our God on our behalf. So Samuel took a young lamb, and he offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and listen to this. The Lord answered him. God's ways are better, right? So just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. Don't you know they were a little cocky? Don't you know they thought, we're going to get them again. Watch this. 
But things were different this time. It says, but the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. How cool that would have been to hear. And the Philistines peed all over themselves. No, it doesn't say that, but I think they probably did. It says, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all the way. Different results this time, right? Samuel then took a large stone and he placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer. If you ever wonder, what is Ebenezer? Who is he and why are we singing about him? Here I raise my Ebenezer. You know that song? Come Thou Fount? It's a reference to this passage. Samuel puts this big rock of remembrance, if you will, and he calls it Ebenezer, means the Lord's help, the stone of help, it means. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. He, he sets this reminder in front of them that, hey, last time we did it without the Lord and it didn't go well. This time the Lord's on our side. Let us remember that the Lord thus far is with us. I think it's cool for us to have reminders from time to time of how faithful God has been in our lives because we tend to forget, don't we? In fact, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, it's probably about five years ago, maybe six years ago today, that I spent some time in a cabin off the grid up into the Mesa over in New Mexico. And I went behind the cabin, hiked out there where you couldn't even, you couldn't even hear anything. It was so loud. It was so quiet. That makes sense. Your ears so overcompensate. It's so quiet. And I was just pouring my heart out to God, some things that we were going through at that time. And I remember grabbing these stones and stacking them up. I bet you they're still there. In fact, I want to go back and see. But I needed a place in my heart and my mind just to nail it down and say, God, you've been with us this far. And I believe that you're going to carry us through this next season of life as well. Sometimes it's good for us to have those memorials, right? Now, for us, you may not have, you know, could you imagine a bunch of stones across your yard? Oh, yeah, that's when God did this, and that's when you're mowing around them. That'd be so. But what we can do is you can journal. You know, you can write things down. And I did that for a season. I'm not real faithful with it, but I just remember going back and grabbing one of the journals and looking back and over and over and over again like an Ebenezer, a stone of help, a reminder of God's faithfulness in my life. And I think it's good for us to have those reminders of God's faithfulness. So Samuel sets that stone there as a reminder to the children of Israel. It says, so the Philistines, listen to this, were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. If you're keeping up, let me show you how God honored them because they were honoring him. First off, he fought their battle for them. In the past, they were fighting on their own, and this time God shows up and says, what's this, boys? And thunder, and there's confusion, and Israel overtakes the Philistines. And I just believe that when we honor him, there's a lot of battles that you and I face that he'll, he'll go to war on our behalf. So he fought their battles for them, and they were able to beat the Philistines. And I like this part, too. He also restored to them what the enemy had stolen. It says that the, the villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured earlier on were all restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. How many know God is in the restoration business? And I know some of us could say, man, I wish I could have some of the territory back that the enemy has stolen in my life. And I just think that when we honor God, God honors us. When we show indifference toward God, I think that we can experience some great devastation in our lives. But this truth today is so important to me as those who honor God. I just want to live my life honoring God. Because I believe if I mind his business, he'll mind mine. I believe that I make him priority and I get rid of the, the other stuff that's floating around in my heart, those substitutes. And God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you worry about, they'll be added to you. When we honor God, he honors, he blesses, he blesses our obedience. He's faithful that way, right? And I like this, not only with the Philistines, but also there were some people in the hill country um, in, in, in Canaan called the Amorites. And it says even in those days, they had peace between Israel and Israel. And the Amorites. I don't know about you, but I, I just this text to me, this story to me screams. Hey, there, there's a contrast between last week, chapters four, five, and six, and then seven today, and it's just absolutely abundantly, fundamentally clear. God's ways are better. 
But how many of us test that from time to time? Nobody else, just me? I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? We know what God's word says, but, and we start doing things as though we're smarter than God. Come on. And we test that and we just say, let me have the controls for a while, God. I need to handle this one. I know what your word says regarding forgiveness, but oh man, God, you got to let me take care of this one. I know you say to love your neighbor as yourself, but God, there's some people around the corner at my workplace or in my own family that I can't, I can't do that. And so we take the controls and we, we try to do things our own way and we always get our own results. And, and for me, the reminder is, for all of us today, is God's ways are always better. In the context of marriage, God's way is better. Yesterday we celebrated Hurley and Donna Agee's 50-year anniversary. It's unheard of in today's culture today, Right? I mean, I know there's a handful of people that have done that, but there's just something to be said about doing it God's way. Does that mean it's always going to be peace and bliss and no issues? No. But when you're committed to God's word, doing it God's way, I'm just telling you, he blesses that, and we can celebrate milestones like that. God's ways are better. So here's the the big question. What changed? Last week we said what happened. What happened was their indifference, and their indifference just gave them a... Horrible, no good, very bad day, right? And, and in this case, when they returned to the Lord with all their hearts, when they honored God, God honored them. God blessed them in a, in a big way. And so the question is, what changed? What changed was their hearts. What changed was their, their view of God. They, they put God back as a priority in their life. Does anybody else struggle with priorities? Oh, I do. But God, God needs to be number one in our lives. When we get that priority out of whack, we get a lot of problems. And so they got their priorities organized. They put God back at number one. They honored God. That's what changed. So here's the other question. Why did it take them so long? Look back at the very beginning of that passage. It says, the the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. 20 years of being whipped around by the Philistines. 20 years of living in darkness, 20 years of being politically weak, spiritually weak, 20 years on the lamb running from God, 20 years is a long time. And when you read how it all turns around for them, you're thinking, why did you wait so long? God's blessing on the other side of your obedience, why did it take you so long to get this lesson? And I asked that question, why? And I have to ask it of us as well. Why does it take us so long to get it? Why does it take us so long to return? You know how it is? We get in these little seasons of, 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 of doubt or maybe we're discouraged, hurt, something we've gone through, and we just get into a funk, and one day turns into one week, turns into one month, turns into a year, and before you know it, 10 years go by, and we're missing out on God's blessing and his favor. And I'm just here to tell you, God is a faithful God, Right? And he loves his people and he blesses obedience. And so if those who honor God, God honors, I'm thinking, why do we wait so long? And I think about his appeal to you and me and it's, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about it. And here's what I know about God. God is faithful. God is loving. God is merciful. That's good news, right? See, the way we think is we, we can't go to God because God's going to remind me of everything and God's going to hit me with that little spiritual mallet. You know, that's the way my view of God was for years is God's just waiting to pounce on me and he's going to give it to me. But as you read scriptures, you know, he says, even though you're faithless, I'm faithful. And he says, my mercy is new every morning. Every morning, brand new batch of mercy. So you and I should be able to come before him knowing that he's omniscient, knowing that he knows it all, just to say, God, I need to come clean with you I pour my life out before you. I'm, I'm broken. I'm, my sorrow is leading me to repentance. And I want to I just return to you. And I just, I love, I said last week, the image of the prodigal son, the father in that story, is a beautiful picture of our loving father when we do that with him. Arms open wide, come. And what he does with a person that just turns around and rededicates, recommits their life to him is so beautiful and so powerful. And so the question is why? If we know it's true that God's way are better, why do we try to do it our own way? And we get the results and the frustration and the anger and the disappointment, the discouragement, the depression, all the things that come with that. And God's up here going, hey, 
<clears throat> I wrote a book. That's in there. You know the acronym that we heard in Sunday school? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It's God's instruction manual to us. He says, hey, I, I wrote about that. It's in, in the word. And, and I and just assure you, because he's omnipotent and he's omniscient, he knows all things. He's like, I'm just telling you guys, my ways are better. But oh, how we test that. How I test that. And so let me just ask you this morning, are you here today? And you feel like, Shane, I, I just feel like I'm in a dark place. I feel like I've been running from God and I've allowed some sin to creep into my life and it's caused me to, to feel like I'm just in a, a dark place. It feels like everything that, that goes on in my life is just cursed. It feels like nothing's working for me. Relationships, finance, health. Now, now let, me, let me make sure I make this clear. Old Testament, Old Covenant with them, we are under a new covenant, a better covenant. Amen? So, so here's how we're made right with God today. We're made right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whosoever believes, whosoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. When we place our trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we are made right with God the Father. Now before we're saved, we're like enemies of the cross. We're enemies of God. We're separated from him, right? But when we place our faith in him, now we become a part of the family. And as a loving father, he's going to spank us from time to time. Have you ever been spanked by God? They hurt. But there's a purpose in God's chastisement, his correction. And as a loving parent always says, we don't do it just because it makes us feel good. Some of you might do that, and you're freaks if you do. But, I mean, I just like to beat my kids every once in a while because the world's stressful, and it's just, I find it soothing. Then, no, not God. God has a purpose in correction. It's always to turn us, to turn us away from our error, to turn us away from our sin and back to him. Isn't God great? And so if you're just kind of beating your head against the wall and you're trying, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. Is it possible you simply need to say, God, I've been doing it my way. I need to return to you today. Oh, I believe that we are so desperately in need of revival in our church. We're so desperately in need of revival in our community, in our schools, in local government, and then nationally. Don't we? We need God to do something. And it starts before we can lead to victory as we see with Samuel. We need to lead ourselves back to him. Just recognize how far we have drifted away and turn to him. Now, if you're here today and you never placed your faith in the gospel, um, let me just tell you that's um, the most important decision you'll ever make in life. Because you want to do things God's way. Let me tell you God's way. The only way that we can be made right with God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other name given under heaven by which man can be saved. We can't find the back door into heaven. The Bible says narrow is the gate that leads to life. So God has given us instruction on how to be right with him. And if we want to we make it there one day when all this is said and done, we've got to do it God's way because God's way is going to bring God's results, right? And if you're here today and you never trusted him for salvation, today is the day he's pleading with you. He's knocking on the heart of your door and he's saying, hey, open up, let me in. And we trust him. He can do some radical things in our lives. If you're here today and you say, hey, Shane, I'm a believer. I've I, I followed Christ for years, but I feel like I'm just kind of in a lull. I think I'm, I'm kind of in a dark spot right now. Is it possible you simply just need to return to him? Is it possible you just need to be honest with God, come clean with him and say, God, I've been, been lazy in my walk. I've been complacent, maybe even a little indifferent towards your word and obedience to your word. And I confess that as sin to you. And Lord, I want to turn to you with all of my heart. I want to get rid of all the substitutes because they ain't working. I want to trust in you and you alone. And when we do that, we're wholly devoted to him, turning and returning to him. Can I just tell you, God blesses that obedience. He says, I honor those who honor me. And so if you, you evaluate your life, are you honoring God in your life? Are you honoring him in your marriage? Are you honoring him in business, in finance? Are you honoring him just in your, your relationship with other people, he says, I'll honor those who honor me. God's ways are always best. Amen? Those who honor God, God himself will honor in return. How good, how great is our God? Pretty awesome, isn't he? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you, you created us and you remember our frame. You know that we are but dust, is what the scriptures say. So you know how hard-headed we are. You know how hard-hearted we are. You know about our spiritual ADHD. 
Lord, we get so distracted with the things of this world. We get drawn away by the, the lures of temptation. And Lord, we find ourselves in a heap of trouble sometimes. And Lord, we grow cold and indifferent towards your word and towards fellowship and towards worship. And Lord, we know that from what we looked at last week, and we just know to be true in Scripture, that that can be devastating, Lord, in our lives. And so, Father, we just acknowledge that. And Lord, we see so clearly the fundamentals of just getting back to the basics of just trusting you and you alone having no other gods before you but trusting you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the new and better covenant that covers us today. But Father, I realize that many of us in this room, while we are your children, we may be living as though we're, we're way off out in la-la land, disobedient children. And Father, I pray that you would help us to come to our senses, help us to realize the blessings and the benefits and the favor, the honor that come and that are associated with honoring you. So, Lord, would you draw us back to you today? Lord, would you reveal to us in our hearts if there's anything that's fighting for first place in our priorities, would you reveal that to us and help us to have the, the courage and the strength to walk away and, Lord, leave nothing else in our hearts, no more room in our hearts but for you? God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to pour ourselves out before you like that water on the ground, not to be collected back up again, but just symbolic of here I am, God, change a heart, you can have all of me. Lord, would you just do a work in our hearts today? Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us. I thank you for the mercy. I thank you for the truth that even though we're faithless, you are faithful. You've never changed. You're immutable, and you're good that way. So, Father, I pray that we could come to you with a full assurance of faith and confidence that you, uh, Lord, when we bring our brokenness to you, you're not standing there with that rubber mallet ready to pounce on us and tell us how bad we are, but like a loving father with arms open wide, you welcome us back into the fold and the fellowship. I pray, God, that today we could see our need for that. I pray that you would put a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst in our lives today. Lord, I can't do that. I can't produce that. I'm just a man. But Holy Spirit, you can. So, Father, we've tasted of this world and we've looked at the things that are around us and we try them out and we feel like we come up wanting. Lord, help us to see that the solution all along has been you and you alone. And Lord, as we leave this place to know God's ways are better. God's ways are always better. So, Father, we honor you today and, and we, we lift you up and we ask that you would be, uh, Lord, honored in our lives and what we do, what we say. And, Father, we ask for your blessing on us. We ask for your provision your protection on us. We ask that you would begin a, a revival in our own shoes first and then carry it out through the church and our community and our schools and in our government positions, Lord, leadership. Lord, would you just please show yourself faithful and powerful to us as we turn to you, Lord, we would, that we would return to you. Lord, and just recognize the many times in our lives that you've been with us this far, our own little Ebenezer moments when we see your hand of faithfulness. God, that we would not forget just how awesome and faithful you are. Lord, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. You're truly worthy. So, Father, we love you. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts and move in our hearts today. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.